Welcome to Poverty Unpacked, the podcast series in which we discuss the hidden sides of poverty. In conversation with others, we explore how poverty affects the mind, relationships, emotions and society as a whole, and what can be done to change it. In this episode, we will be exploring the role of food banks in the UK. We will hear from Katie McCusker, a master's student at the Institute of Development Studies and currently working for a charity in Brighton. Previously, she worked for a homelessness charity as a housing support worker, helping young people to find accommodation and to sustain their tenancy. We will also hear from Joe Walker. He is project manager at Whitehawk Food Bank in Brighton. At present, this food bank supports about 100 families. For this episode, I also spoke with Colleen, who has used food banks on various occasions in the past few years. I will be reading out passages from my interview with her. The UK currently has more than 2,000 food banks, a number that has increased exponentially since the financial crisis in 2008. Food banks provide emergency food and vital support to people in poverty and need. Most food banks work on the basis of referrals by either professionals or other services. So the main provider of food banks in the UK is the Trussell Trust. Now there are many independent food banks as well, so it may vary across the independent um, food banks. But with the Trussell Trust, they have a voucher system whereby professionals are authorised to issue the vouchers. So it could be their GP could be the citizen's advice, the job centre or others similar in a similar kind of capacity. So the provider would work with the, with the Trussell Trust themselves to be authorised as somebody who can issue the tokens. There isn't an eligibility criteria as such. I mean, you don't have to provide proof of your bank statements or anything like that person will have to explain their circumstances um, and then the professional who is issuing the voucher will decide if if they do genuinely need the voucher I think there's a lot of there's a lot of rhetoric in the in the media about people taking advantage of food banks and that they're not they don't really need the food they're just taking it because they can but in reality the majority of people are in genuine need and that will come across when they explain their circumstances. The Whitehawk Food Bank is also run by the Trussell Trust. Joe explains why they prefer to work with a referral system. Down the years, we've found referrals just ensure you don't um, create any sort of dependency. I think sometimes if, if you don't have that external referral agency that you can, if there's any, um, yeah, almost like a guarantor of, of um that person's situation and then also I I think practically from a safeguarding point of view if we're working with a client and we have concerns about their safety we we recognize that actually we're we're not social services or we're not a doctor's surgery and so it's not always our job to fix those problems and so if, if there is an external agency or a social worker or a health visitor that's working with that client if we do have any concerns around safeguarding and, and their well-being then then we can always raise and, and flag those with that external agency which I think is a, a benefit of of working with within the kind of referral system. Colleen was also referred to the food bank through a charity. 
She had lost her home and was living in a small flat together with her young daughter when she first made use of the service. She explains how the service works, but also points out that getting to the food bank and taking the supplies back home isn't always easy. She says, When you go in, you have to fill out forms and tell them about why you're there. You don't have to tell the details, but give some information about why you need help. You sit down and have a cup of tea and they have a chat with you. You check boxes on the forms about what you would like or don't like and whether you need products for personal care like toothpaste. It helps to get these products. When you go, you may have to travel a little further. And it's not just one bag, and with all the tins and sugar, they're heavy bags. The food banks may also be open only on certain days in the week, and when you miss it, you have to go further. It's not easy, but you find a way to get there, taking the bus or a taxi or ask a friend. As Colleen already alluded to, food banks do not only provide food parcels. They also offer more general support through their volunteers, such as through the befriending team at Whitehawk Food Bank. Yes, we've got an amazing um, team of befrienders. It's yeah changed due to the current pandemic. And um, so before, when we'd have a central food bank centre, which we'd have clients in and they could come and grab a um, tea or coffee or something whilst they wait for their food parcel, our befriending team would kind of, A, just help chat to them, just ask how their week's been, um, as well as kind of get to know a bit more about the situation and the circumstances that have led them to be referred to our services. And then from there, we can often distinguish whether there's any additional support that we can provide, which might be making a referral to a financial advisor or to a mental health professional, a housing officer, all sorts of um, agencies that we work with. Um, and so now, instead of doing that centrally in person, our team of befrienders do that over the phone. So they have a list of clients that they'll call each week and, and they'll take down a food order for them so we can make it up in advance. And then also do that kind of process of, yeah, A, just kind of chatting to people about how they're getting on, how they're finding um, lockdown and the coronavirus. And, and then additionally, just working out if there's any um, support that we can direct them to or signpost them to which will help them kind of alleviate the need to, to access our services in the future. For some people the food bank helps them to overcome a temporary setback or it's only a one-off type of support but others may return more regularly. Yeah it can it can depend on the the issue that has has led them to be referred I guess within within some communities where there is kind of quite high levels of, of deprivation and, and destitution, it can become a little bit, I don't know, a, a, like people talk about obviously the cycle of poverty and it can yeah become can become difficult for people to to break out of that cycle. Quite often if the issues are related to health, whether that's physical health or mental health um, or issues maybe with uh, substances or family breakdowns that can often be we see clients coming back every few years and then for some for some people we we have people on our volunteer team that would um a few years ago have been accessing our services but now in a, a much more sustainable position so it, yeah it really does vary from client to client and it often relates to 
what the underlying issue is, which is where the kind of referral system and then our signposting system comes in, recognising that there's obviously there's quite often a variety of complex needs behind the financial hardship and trying to signpost people to get support for each of those issues that they've got in, in their lives. Some have lauded the rise of food banks as a sign of solidarity and community spirit. However, many will argue that a food bank has no place in a high-income country like the UK and that it shows the gaps in government support for people in need. I think that the welfare reforms that have taken place over the last seven or so years really impacted people dramatically. There have been huge changes to the way that the benefit system works um, and how people understand it. And that coupled with the insufficient rates, I would say, the, the rates of benefit payments in line with actual expenditure that people have, it's, it's insufficient. The cost of living has r- risen dramatically. The cost of food, the cost of fuel, the cost of transport, public transport, the cost of housing has risen dramatically. And although benefit payments, you know, they rise very small amount each year it doesn't cover people's housing costs i I would say that is a a huge contributor to why people find Mm. that they've got no money left Mm. after they've paid their bills if you're looking specifically at the welfare system one of the biggest kind of causes is the the five-week wait for universal credit which for anyone listening that, that doesn't know, is when you make a claim for universal credit, um, if that claim is approved, you then have to wait five weeks until you receive your first payment. And within that five week for five weeks, for a lot of families, that can be a really stretching and difficult time. And so um, we quite often have referrals made to us for families that need that kind of stop gap between losing a job, applying for universal credit, and then they've got that five-week wait in between. And I think food banks are really key in that aspect in that if people don't access a food bank, they will often take advance payments on that universal credit claim, which will then mean they have to pay back those payments throughout the next, I think it's 10 months of their benefits. And then as a result, they have less Uh, money coming in each month which would mean they'd quite often require food bank access anyway so we we find it better to try and prevent that ongoing access by helping people in that initial five weeks um, than it is to kind of be a fallback once people are stuck in a cycle of paying back advance payments. Going to the food bank and receiving support is a mixed experience for many. There's gratitude for the support that they receive but also anger and embarrassment for having to go to the food bank in the first place. It's, it's quite a harrowing experience, I think, for people because we are creatures of pride and it's as much as somebody may ne- really need to get that assistance, it's not a nice experience for people to have to continually ask for help to that degree. It's seen as a last resort for many people and they'll kind of do whatever they can before it comes to that. I've seen people borrowing money from these payday loans, which are incredible rates um, of interest and 
people find themselves getting into debt over them, pawning their belongings, that kind of thing, selling their belongings just to get some, get what they can together before it comes to food banks. So, you know, if it comes to it and they do need to use a food bank, they're in general em- embarrassed, ashamed, that, you know, they don't want to be seen by people they know. They're grateful to receive it, but at the same time, they're angry that it's come to that and that there's no other help available for them. It's normally the, the combination of people being thankful and, and grateful that our services exist and that they're able to access them. But at the same time, there's definitely a, quite often a, it's either a, a sadness or an anger at the situation that they're in and, and possibly the um, factors and stakeholders within that situation that have led them to, to be um, in the circumstances they're in. And then I think in this country, there is a stigma around the idea of, of food banks and food bank use. And therefore that creates a bit of a embarrassment and almost a shame culture around needing to access food banks. And so something we probably, one of the most common things we hear is um, that I'm embarrassed that you know I'm having to be here, but I've worked my whole life. And kind of that the injustice that people are labeled a certain way, despite the fact that they've often contributed to this country and the economy for much of their working lives and so we we try and play a role in that and just be a listening ear to people just assure people that this is what we're we're here to do and our our befriending team is really good at relating to people on a a personal level which I think helps um, people feel comfortable within yeah within our, our building and within our services. Colleen's experience also speaks to the negative narrative of people using food banks and how this leads to feeling judged. She also talks about how the volunteers at the food bank try to create a positive atmosphere. She says, I think that other people don't have an understanding of what it's like to use a food bank. We live in a judgmental world. If you haven't stepped in someone else's shoes, you don't know what it's like. The first time that I had to go was hard to swallow, and I don't think that I went. But I did the second time, and it's not just a case of picking up a food parcel. The volunteers at the food bank sit down and have a chat with me. They don't judge me. COVID-19 has dramatically increased the need for food support, and has already required food banks to change the logistics of how they provide support. The most notable change in terms of the impact of COVID has just been a, a dramatic increase in numbers. So if I if I looked at our numbers for this point last year, we were probably at about 40 referrals with 70 to 80 beneficiaries. And then um, during May, which was kind of what we saw as the peak of the, the COVID crisis for emergency food, um, we had 160 referrals with three to 400 beneficiaries and obviously a a higher need means there's more food to give out which means more food to try and source in terms of donations and then obviously we could no longer run our our drop-in service in the same way and so we had to kind of re re reevaluate how we can do that kind of signposting and referral process when we're not able to meet face to face with people in the same way Another thing was we had to start a delivery service, which we'd never done before for people that were kind of isolating or vulnerable. And then 
obviously introduce a whole new set of hygiene and safety protocols for our volunteers and for the food that we handle and donations we process. So um, yeah, I think for most food banks across the country, it caused us to completely reevaluate how we work operationally. The sad reality that many more people have or are at risk of losing their jobs following the pandemic may also lead to a more positive shift in the narrative around people using food banks. Yeah, I think that the narrative over the past few years that as food banks have grown in in numbers, it's been very negative. The people are, who are using them are, you know, it's their own fault for one reason or another. They found themselves in a position where they've got no money. People are of the opinion that they're alcoholics or drug users and they've, they've used their money on things that they shouldn't have. And that's why they found themselves in this position. But I think what COVID is highlighting is that anybody can find themselves in a position where, they, where they're not able to afford their basic, basic necessities. Now, the Thrustle Trust is very clear that the large number of food banks in the UK is a failure of government in their efforts to end poverty and to adequately support people in need. Their aim is to end the need for food banks in the UK. But this standpoint does not negate the display of compassion and kindness by the many volunteers that work in the food banks and make the support possible. There's kind of only um, two of us that are staff members. And then we have a team of probably about 30 volunteers, which includes a team of um, five or six drivers as well. So it is, it's mainly a volunteer based organization really. And so, yeah, that's kind of where I think most of the, the praise and um, thanks has to go to the commitment of our, of our team to, to come in and work really hard in the storeroom or packing up orders or um, doing befriending with clients when um, normally you'd be able to kind of go away and relax on a holiday over the summer, but we've kind of just had to to work through. And so um, it's not just our food bank, but food banks um, all over the country have been able to keep running because people have um, have given up their times. And yeah, I think it's important to recognise the work of, of volunteers over, over the last six months. Colleen is fortunately doing a lot better than when she first visited the food bank. She's emotional when we speak and when she talks about the difficulties at that time. But she also expresses hope and reflects on the kindness that rings through the support that people provide each other through the food bank and otherwise. She says, I'm doing much better now, but I can speak from being rock bottom and I can understand why people don't want to use the food bank. It's degrading, but everybody needs a little help. Now, if I am able to put extra things into the basket for the food bank in Asda or so, I feel glad. I know what it feels like to receive the help and I feel glad to put things in. It doesn't make you less human or less of a mother if you use the food bank. It makes you appreciate kindness. The food bank is only a part of my journey. There's always a little bit of hope out there. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, please check out our other episodes and blog posts on our website poverty-unpacked.org. You can also follow us at Poverty Unpacked on Twitter and Instagram. And we hope you'll join us again next time.